0: The IMF warns that low productivity growth has, and I quote the IMF report, eroded Canada's
1: external. Order. Order. So, Supriya, how often do you have colleagues at work who, in order to improve the quality of the workplace environment, kind of yell insults at you and try to take you off your game?
2: Well, Desmond, I'm quite the wallflower, usually, so if anybody... Yeah, well, I joke, right? This is me (laughs) being as sarcastic as possible. If I ever had a coworker yell at me, come up at me in my face, there'd be tables flipped, there'd be coffee spilled everywhere, and maybe a bruise or two. Well, you know,
1: it's funny that you should say that, because the workplace that I'm describing is the House of Commons. It's our Parliament, where every single day during question period, members of Parliament try to take each other off their game by yelling insults, interrupting, cheering, jeering, it's like a schoolyard.
2: Uh, yeah, if anybody's watched Question Period, it's hard to get through one question without hearing, you know, members from opposing benches go rah-rah or whatever, you know. It's, it's, it's very, it's, uh, it's really off-putting to me. And I'm a political person.
1: Well, it's not just off-putting to you. It's off-putting to the majority of Canadians who were surveyed about this. And members of Parliament were actually just surveyed about this in a recent study by Samara. And guess what? Most members of Parliament think that heckling is disruptive, but most of them also admit to doing it.
2: That's what gets me. If you don't like it, then why are you still doing it?
1: Well, Sapria, I think this is a classic case of don't hate the player, hate the game. And to talk about both, we have an MP from Calgary, Michelle Rempel, a conservative, to talk about decorum and heckling in the House of Commons.
2: I'm Sapria DeVetti.
1: I'm Desmond Cole.
2: And this is Canada Land Commons.
1: This episode of Canada Land Commons is supported by Giftogram.
2: I love Giftogram. It's a super easy way to send gifts without having to go to the mall. And I mean, who really wants to go to the mall anyway? Because the best part about this is that they curate the gifts for you. So there's a great selection right there on your phone. It's available on iPhone and Android. And did I mention you don't have to go to the mall?
1: Valentine's Day is coming up. Not sure how prepared all of you are for that, but Giftogram has you covered. They've got a bunch of categories specifically for Valentine's Day, like BFF and hashtag couple goals. Let's look at some of these gifts. We've got a Four Seasons 60-Minute Couples Massage.
2: Oh, hey. Anoop, are you listening?
1: Or how about, this is a really nice one, a six-month record
2: subscription. That's really cool and super original, too.
1: Now, you're just three clicks away from sending one of these great gifts. You download the app, choose your gift... And click on the person you want to send it to
2: See, and this is the best part about Giftogram Because it's 2016, nobody has addresses anymore Do you have anybody's addresses? Because it's 2016 <laughs> Yeah, who has a Rolodex or an address book? But this is the best part, it doesn't even matter All you need is an email or a phone number And Giftogram takes care of the rest
1: It's basically like sending an email
2: Plus, Giftogram won't even charge you until the recipient accepts your gifts and gives the address to Giftogram.
1: It'll be there in three to five business days. So if you sign up right now, you actually get $20 towards your first gift. And just use the gift code CanadaLand. That's right, the gift code is CanadaLand for that $20 towards your first gift on Giftogram.
2: So Samara put out a new report. Samara, of course, is the nonpartisan civic engagement group. uh, And they asked a bunch of MPs, why do you heckle? What are your feelings about heckling? They put the heckle to the question and they got a bunch of answers. So there are a few reasons why MPs told Samara that they like to heckle. And here's one reason.
3: MPs don't want to just sit around quietly. They want to be sort of a part of the game, so to speak. And they heckle uh, as a result to sort of support their team or jeer the other side.
1: Sounds like team sports to me, Sapria. You know, you're sitting on the bench. It's not actually your shift, but your teammates are in there fighting and you want to let them know that you're out there supporting.
2: Yeah, I guess it's the same thing as if you're on the bench, you might as well be yelling out defense or something, right, (laughs) to do your part.
1: It's an interesting commentary, though, because it kind of suggests that even members of parliament sometimes feel left out of their own discussions, that like, there isn't enough space and room for people to talk. I mean, we know that in parliament, only a few people every day get to, for example, ask questions. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like people feel left out.
2: Sad trombone effect here.
1: Now, cheering on your team, understandable, but there can be downsides to this kind of behavior as well.
3: In our survey, there was a segment of respondents who said, you know, heckling can enliven debate, especially if it's good-natured or a particularly witty barb. But what we also found in our survey is that heckles can sometimes take on a very personal nature, a derogatory nature. MPs said that they had heard heckles in the House focused on an MP's gender, their age, their appearance, their religion. And it's that sort of heckle that I I think maybe doesn't belong in the House of Commons.
2: Now, according to this survey that was done, there was an interesting little tidbit that poked out in that women not only tend to hear more gendered insults, they tend to hear more insults about their appearance, their age, the way they speak, but they also feel more affected by it.
1: You know what really struck me was that men and women were asked about what they hear as members of parliament, and the men said, I almost never hear comments about someone's age or gender, but most of the women said they did hear those kinds of things, so like... That's a really interesting divide.
2: Yeah. Well, imagine that if you're being spewed insults at and they're about the way you look or the way you speak, then you're, you're going to tend to hear them. But if you're a man and nobody's commenting on your gender or the way you speak, then you probably don't think it's happening. But
1: that means men are also not hearing comments about women. And I think that that strains credibility a little bit. Just because the comment isn't directed at you doesn't really mean you don't hear it. Is it that you don't want to hear those
2: comments? Ding, 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 ding. I think you got it.
1: To get some more personal first-hand insight into this issue, we're joined by Michelle Rempel, who is the MP for Calgary Nose Hill and the conservative official opposition critic for immigration, refugees, and citizenship. Michelle Rempel, what is the state of heckling in the House of Commons as you see it right now? How much of a problem is it?
3: Well, I think you have to appreciate that people that run for office are typically passionate people, right? And I mean, there's a certain responsibility that you carry as an elected representative, especially, you know, many of us have 100,000 more people living in our riding. So, you know, politics and public policy, it should be a passionate thing. So sometimes I think, you know, when people uh, interrupt or clap or, you know, cheer in the House of Commons, it's because there's, you know, passion there. So I want to kind of clarify that I I think it's a good thing to be passionate about being a public servant and, you know, having that role, the difference between, you know, clapping and that sort of stuff and heckling is heckling is not the same intent, right? It's designed to silence someone else. So I, I don't want to give your listeners the sense that this is something that is, it's like this terrible state of affairs in the house of commons, but yeah, of course it does happen and rightly so, it has a negative perception in the public. And if we're talking about the state of Canada's democracy and encouraging people to be um, engaged in civics and engaging their role models or their public servants, that it's not something we should encourage or participate in. So that's probably where we're at. And I think it's a positive thing that we're having a discussion about decorum and uh, how the House of Commons should be treated given the responsibility uh, that you carry as an elected official.
2: Absolutely, couldn't agree more. One of the findings of that Samara study that we were talking about is that a lot of MPs they may not like the heckling, but they all sort of admit to doing it. So, Michelle, we have to ask you: Do you heckle?
3: You know, I've heckled back. (laughs) You know, which probably isn't uh, the best thing to do because you know, hey man, you got to hold your own. Fair enough. But here, here's I know what you're going to ask me. You're going to ask me what do we need to do to fix it, right? I think the answer to this problem is. It's not something that you can legislate away or, you know, put fines on or, you know, put all on the speaker's shoulders because, again, each of us are elected to be the voice of thousands of people. So it's incumbent upon us to treat that privilege and that responsibility with the gravity that is required. And that means governing your own behavior accordingly. So for me, this really boils down to personal accountability and personal actions. We had an incident in the house very recently where I was quite fired up because, you know, I was being heckled at and I got into it. And was that appropriate? You know, yeah, I want to hold my own and I, you know, you feel emboldened. But I also think that The best way to treat the House of Commons with a certain, you know, it's about debate and an exchange of ideas. And to me, that's the epitome of what the House of Commons can and should be. And it's all up to us, I guess.
1: It's fair to say that. But I see that in this study the people who MPs say were most likely to heckle included backbenchers. So to me, this is like the kids at the back of the class who are furthest away from teacher and are kind of misbehaving a little bit. What incentive is there for members of parliament, especially backbenchers who have been kind of participating in this culture for a long time. What incentive is there for them to change their behavior?
3: Well, I'm going to push back a little bit because I don't agree with that. And I think it also depends on the sample of who responded to that survey. I mean, the Prime Minister of Canada just heckled me a few weeks ago. So I think that all sides are probably guilty of it. But I don't think it's fair to say that it's endemic to one group versus another and that it's, you know, sort of a long Benchlines, if you will.
1: By the way, I, I just have to ask, since you mentioned that, did you actually hear what the prime minister said to you when he heckled you?
3: Yes. So, if you must know the exchange, I asked the um, minister of immigration uh, a question, and his response was, "Well, you should look a little more cheerful, or the member should look a little something to that effect." You know, I, I was. Gonna- go ahead. Yeah. No. Sorry. Go ahead. I'm trying to figure out what my tone needs to be in the House of Commons because the Syrian Refugee Initiative, we've had a couple of questions on that. It's a very serious issue, right? So I want to make sure that my tone imparts the seriousness and the fact that I think the questions that I'm asking are actually non-partisan to a large extent. And that's how I've been trying to frame my tone out in the House of Commons since we've come back after the election. So I was really surprised. He answered something else before and it was quite glib. And she's probably well-intentioned and he'd be in the House of Commons for a long period of time. So that surprised me. But then when he said that answer, I was just like, I yelled across the um, House of Commons. I said, you never would have said that to me if I was a man. And that got everyone all, you know, everyone's yelling. And so at that point in time, you know, I'm saying this and the prime minister is laughing at me. And I look at him across the aisle. And I said, are you laughing at this? He nods his head. I said, you're really laughing at this nods his head. And my colleague goes, you're laughing at this. He goes, no, I'm laughing at her. Again, we're passionate people in the House of Commons, but when we're talking about heckling and who does it, it's, this all boils down to owning our own personal behavior, right? And making sure that we're treating the privilege that we have to be in that place with a great degree of gravity. And after this all happened, I raised the point of order in the House of Commons and I asked for an apology and I made the comment. I said I, I question whether my colleague would have said those particular words had I been a man in this place. I just got booed, like serious, serious hardcore boo, right? And you know, if, you, if you've ever been in a Room like that, where it's you know, the acoustics are quite interesting. It's like this wall, it's like a force weapon. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like, it's this just this wall (laughs) of sound, and um, it takes something to stand there and then push through it after that, right? I mean, for me, that was like my reaction is it 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 emboldens me, right? But that's tough, right? So, it is what it is, and I don't want to sound sanctimonious, I want to sound this is from the bottom of my heart when we're talking about heckling and, you know, we talk about democratic reform and reform in the House. The speeches that I've given on this particular topic, you know, everything from heckling to whether or not the speaker should be regulating what the answers are like in the House of Commons. Like, If we really have to talk about somehow regulating or legislating people's behavior in the House of Commons and content and answers and speeches, is like, I, we've got a bigger problem, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's basically people just shouldn't be jerks, right? That's what it comes down to. You can be passionate without being an asshole at the same time, and uh, that shouldn't be too hard to do, one would think anyway.
3: And also think about what we're trying to do there, right? Like, the House of Commons is a place where we represent all Canadians in how public policy and legislation is put together in a g7 country like it's a pretty big responsibility and you know, I've had a few people say like, oh, you know, this and that, this is how we should be finding heckling or defining it. Or maybe it's, uh, it, it happens because backbenchers don't have another outlet and etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. And I'm going e- like, you guys just have to tune into CPAC. It's very romantic. I highly recommend it. <laughs> like, let's say 130 Eastern. So about half an hour before question period, there's always debate happening, right? There's probably five or six people like five or six MPs in the House of Commons when we're debating government legislation. And and to me, that's like the bigger question. I mean, all parties are guilty of this, but some people grab a speech that's been written by a staff or walk into the House of Commons and deliver it. What I try and do is my staff are always looking, we're looking at the order paper, looking at what's, we're looking at mandate letters to the ministers, platforms, whatnot, trying to ascertain what legislation is going to be forthcoming, when things are scheduled. And I do a lot of the research myself, and I write my own speeches, and I try and speak on issues that I know I'm getting feedback on in the community that are important to the community that are important to me that I've campaigned on. And it's not necessarily related to my ministry, or I've spoken on so many different topics. And the reason why I give you so much preamble on this is everybody has so much opportunity to speak and debate that I think that when we talk about democratic deficit and reform of the House, again, it's anybody can go into the House of Commons and give a passionate, well-researched, articulate speech on an issue. The biggest compliment I've been given in my career was from an opposition member who shall remain nameless, but she knows who she is, who said, you changed my vote on that supply day motion because of the speech that you gave in the House of Commons. I realized that this would affect my private members' bill and I hadn't thought about that. So thank you for speaking to that. And debate matters, right? I think no matter who you talk to, regardless of the party, there is a sense when you go into the House of Commons and you realize what you are doing in there, there's something that happens, right? And you have to respect that something.
1: You mentioned the difference between cheering and encouraging people in the House of Commons and silencing folks. And I want to read you a quote from this Samara study about heckling. One of the uh, MPs who was female said, quote, Heckling makes me aware that people are often trying to silence me. And in this report, four out of five MPs who said that heckling was kind of having a really negative effect on them doing their job or was discouraging them were women. So what do you think about how decorum in the House of Commons has to do with gender and how women are encouraged or discouraged from speaking out?
3: You know what? I cannot wait for the day when I don't have to talk about gender parity and gender issues as it pertains to how the House of Commons functions. I hate being referred to as a female politician. Do you know what I mean? I preface my answer with that because I think maybe some of the heckles that you get in the House of Commons are perhaps gendered. Sure, there's gendered language in there. Like I think some of the heckles that I get in the House of Commons, heckles that I get are probably more related to appearance or countenance or mannerisms, right? Uh, You know, the infamous Christia Freeland, use your big girl voice thing, right? Sure, there's gendered language in there, but it's not like men are just heckling women. I mean, some of the most vociferous hecklers in the House of Commons are, in fact, women. So I would like to detach the issue of using gendered language to belittle someone from the fact that heckling is a problem. You know what? Heckling is a responsibility writ large and how you behave in the House of Commons is gender blind.
1: I hear that, but you did point out that John McCallum's comment would not have been made to a man. You went out of your way to make that point. So why was that important to you as a woman in Parliament?
3: Because, I mean, it's the ad hominem attack, right? When you get debate training, the ad hominem attack is like the most basic logical fallacy. And it usually occurs when someone's got nothing else to say, right? When you've gotten under their skin, when they know you have a point, right? It's a sign that you're winning the debate. So to me, you know, I think when you're making an ad hominem attack
1: Ad hominem just for clarity being against the person rather than against their argument
3: There's something wrong with you rather than your argument, right? Whatever that content is going to be it's not going to be factually based it's going to be something that comes off the top of your head and so, you know, that gut reaction The responsibility of putting that content out there is of the author, right? But again, I do think that you have to somewhat, I guess that's my point, is you have to separate, okay, well, we shouldn't be using ad hominem attacks in the House of Commons, period, whether they're sexist or racist or whatever. I mean, I think think everyone would agree on that.
2: I'm going to switch gears just a, a little bit here. Uh, you're you're pretty digitally savvy. You're on social media a lot. I want to ask you a little bit about this since we just on the gendered thing a little bit. And I I know you you said that you didn't want to talk about being a female politician, but I need to bring it back to this because do you not think that you get a lot more vitriol, hate, you know, just a lot of crap spewed your way on social media as well simply because you are a you know young smart woman who happens to be a politician who doesn't really hold back and you know. You speak your mind.
3: I'd like to think I'm just good at my job. I think it's unfortunate that in certain social media platforms, which I think you know, we could have this entire other discussion around you know, is Twitter dead or not? Anonymity breeds contempt, especially on that platform. I have a pretty good gut sense that there's maybe four or five people that have eight thousand sock puppet accounts each that uh, you know, cycle through them because you can tell it's similar language and whatnot. And yeah, sure. Some of the languages, you know, it's very sexist. You know, I've had some outside of sexist or I don't like you. That's, that's a different sphere from threats of physical violence. I, I want to make sure that, that that is not right and needs to be taken seriously. But for me, that marks whether or not a social media platform has any utility, right? Even if I disagree with someone or they disagree with me, is there enough respect to have it be useful in terms of public policy development? And I've sort of noticed a decline in that in my Twitter usage in the last I'd say probably a year. It's pretty ugly partisan and it's pretty ugly personal.
2: Yeah, I remember a point actually where you were actually just RTing anybody, a lot of their, your trolls and a lot of the crap that you were getting, I guess, to make a point. And because I, I think that was really eye-opening for a lot of people because a lot of people just assume that the stuff that you're getting is that partisan stuff but not necessarily, you know, the really personal about appearance or gender or what have you and like the threats of violence.
3: Yeah, I know. But I mean, like, maybe I'll push back a question to you guys. Like, is that my role? Role, right. Uh, and that's something that I've struggled with in the last year, because when I retweet someone like that, I give them a platform. You know, it's one thing for me to call to attention to that sort of stuff. But should I be using my platform to be giving trolls like that airtime? Or should I be using that, especially now in opposition, you know, point out issues or concerns or and, and so that's where I struggle sometimes. Like, I, you know, it's interesting because we're sort of of a cohort right now where we're just trying to figure out how public policy dialogue works in these new medium and I don't have the answer to that. I get a lot of people who say, like, why are you retreating these people? And like Twitter is not precise, right? So my point was like this is wrong and this is garbage. But some people might construe it as like, why is this coming through my feet? Like your job is to talk to me about what's going on in the government right now or listen to my concerns. So I don't know I, I what do you think
2: <laughs>
1: I mean I I, I I loved
3: it I loved it I,
2: I, I yeah
1: I have to tell you that it's refreshing when we can even have that discussion and when we can ask those questions because maybe there aren't any real rules for how these mediums are supposed to be used and it's up to the judgment of the individual. And yeah, I agree with Sapria that I thought that you were bringing attention to something that was really important and no one likes to see that in their feed, but no one likes to know that those comments are being made and they're still happening. So I think it was a bit of a dose of reality.
2: Yeah, and and more often than not, I feel like a lot of people are just, they pretend it doesn't exist or don't know it doesn't exist because it's. Not happening to them or people that they know, so that when it's happening to a member of parliament, it kind of maybe makes you think twice of your own behavior online if you are, you know, one of those online commenters or one of the people that have sock puppet accounts.
3: There's an interesting sort of intersection here between what we were talking about with heckling and, you know, sort of the online world. Because again, it's about how we as a country engage in public policy dialogue and what all the different roles of all the different people that are associated with that process do. And I don't think that there are rules Per se, I, I don't think there should be rules on how you use communication media in this sort of an environment. And to me, my responsibility to my constituents is to be authentic, and it is to, you know, be honest in how I communicate. So, sh- do I make people raise their eyebrows when someone like, "Wow, why would she put that out there?" Because you know what, I've grown up with technology. You know, I it's something I've grown up with. I communicate differently. And I use those tools in my public policy making in a different way. And I, you know what, I am okay with that. And I'm admitting it today, you know. So I think that's a really good piece of feedback, especially when you're talking about how do we make the House of Commons and how do we make our democracy more functional.
1: Now, Michelle, speaking of rules, the new Speaker of the House, Jeff Regan, has said in his first address to the House as the Speaker, he said, quote, I will not tolerate heckling. We do not need it. We will not tolerate unparliamentary conduct. So there are rules about what can happen to you in the House of Commons. And you mentioned some of them. You can be fined. You can be asked to leave the chamber for unparliamentary behavior. So if uh, Jeff Regan keeps his promise and starts really laying down these rules on people, what effect do you think that that will have?
3: Well, it's the power of the name and shame, right? Like, I would find it very embarrassing. I hope I never would be in this situation that the House of Commons has to say, you know, the Honorable Member for Calgary knows Hill um, saved save that snide little remark until afterwards. Or so. I can't remember. He used like some words like that. Uh, on someone in the house in the last session I can't remember what it was or just before we broke for Christmas and similarly I was in the House of Commons one of my new colleagues uh, she just got elected in Lethbridge she was giving her maiden speech in the House of Commons and there's two liberals that were just like loudly heckling her and so I tweeted that they heck- they were heckling her and They left the house of. They they heckled. they, They left once. I think they saw it on their feed pop up. Right. So, again, though, I think it boils down to I'm glad to hear the speaker and wants to do that. I don't think you'd get any argument from any political party that we shouldn't be doing that. But I do think, like, I know I sound like a broken record. It comes down to how you conduct your behavior in the House of Commons, right? And also, you know, with all this talk, yeah, I was just going to say the House of Commons, it's this very sort of long, narrow, cavernous place, right? So the speaker is going to hear stuff that sort of right in his immediate earshot. It's difficult for him sometimes like to hear at the far end of the House of Commons. So sometimes you'll get people saying, you know, the worst heckling happens at the far end. And again, that's where I like we need to give, you know, the speaker a little bit of help, I think, once in a while.
1: Sometimes people say, and the Samara report has said, that leaders of political parties are really the ones who should take responsibility for improving decorum in the House. There is a leadership race coming up for the Conservative Party. Could a potential leader of the Conservative Party, Michelle Rempel, have something to say about decorum and other issues? That
2: sounds damn good, by the way. Leader Michelle Rempel. Just putting that out there.
3: This is out of scope of the interview, you people. (laughs) 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 No, I... uh... My position on our leadership remains the same that it has been for the last couple of months, and that is we've gone through a party we've we, 10 years where we haven't had a leadership race, more than that, right? And I think that it's really important for us to, first of all, as a party, say, where are we going? What do we think as a party are some of the biggest public policy challenges that the country is going to have in 10, 15 years now? What do we believe as a party in terms of our positions on there? And then... Then you can start talking about, well, who is the best person suited to reflect that?
2: And that's our show for this week. If you want to continue the conversation, you can search us on Twitter or Facebook by searching Canada Land Commons.
1: Thanks very much to our producer, Kevin Sexton.
2: And that awesome music you hear is by Nathan Burley.
1: You can find us online at CanadaLandShow.com.
2: If you haven't signed up for the newsletter, Not Sorry, you should do so now.
1: Do it. If you want to get in touch with us, email desmond at canadalandshow.com.
2: And if you want to get in touch with me, you can email Desmond and he will forward them along.
1: <laughs> you can subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts on the internet.
2: And remember, if you like the show, please support us. Go to patreon.com slash canadaland.
1: Now, Canada Land Shortcuts will be out on Thursday, and the next episode of Canada Land Commons will be up next Tuesday.
2: Peace!
1: Here, iPolitics, 106 things you can't say in Parliament. There we go. Hysterical was banned in 1943. Very progressive. Dimwitted Saboteur was 1956. (sighs) Above the Truth, an ass. uh, Bullshit, 1973. Canadian Mussolini,
0: 1964.